sometimes you can just be like, whoa. As a matter of fact, one of the things I had to do this week was minister to the film crew because they were just like, oh, I'm like, I'm going to be sick to my, like, this is crazy darkness. Uh, one of the, the great things, the thing that the sex industry does is it has a facade, right? The thing that porn and the sex industry does is it, it presents a facade, of glamour. It presents a facade of beauty. It presents a facade of value and power. But of course, it's just a facade, isn't it? It's fake. When you actually peel back the facade, it's this dark, horrible, degrading, slavery situation. And so to reveal that stuff can be really painful, but it can also be liberating. And what I really want to do when this happens, you have an incredibly intense week when you've been sort of warring with people and you've been fighting, you know, the darkness and the darkness is kind of pushing back at you. And you're just like, all I want to do, like Bob Dylan said, is just kick at it until some light comes in, right? Just like punch that darkness until some light can kind of come in. I just kind of want to come and I want to talk about justice. That's what I want to do. I want to talk about, you know, how God, he reigns and how he reigns in righteousness and in justice and how those things are the foundation of his throne. And I just want to say, come on guys, wake up. God wants to do this justice thing on the earth. He wants to pour out fairness and he wants to right every wrong. And he wants to bring light where there's darkness. And he wants to rescue, you know, literally Job says, I rescued, I smashed the, the bear in the teeth and I rescued its victim from its jaws, you know, and I get all like, like that. And I just want to, and I just want to go like that. <laughs> That's what I want to do. Right. And, um, and then the Lord spoke to me and that's always a trouble, isn't it? It gets in the way of what I want to do all the time. And God speaks and I'm like, but that's not what I want to say. What I want to say is this. And God's like, yeah, but what I'd like you to say is this. And I'm like, but I want to say that. And he's going to, I want you to say this. And just in next week, I'm headed, uh, me and my friend, Sarah, Sarah's a, a ringer, but next week, Saturday, we head off to Montreal. There's 25 of us and uh, we're walking from the first abortion clinic, Morgan Tyler's Clinic in Montreal. We're walking to the Supreme Court in Ottawa. That's about 200 kilometers or something like that. And uh, we're going to walk that in 10 days. <laughs> and um, yes, we are. <laughs> yes. We're walking. Uh, all uh, 25 of those walkers are women who are walking for a reason. You know, they're ro- walking in repentance. They're walking for their healing. They're walking so that their voice might be heard. And uh, many, many, almost every single one of those women are post-abortive women. They've had abortions themselves. And they've come from, uh, they've had harassment abortions in many cases where they were pressured beyond their control to do something that they really felt was wrong anyway. And there's just this, this sort of, again, a facade, a deep injustice in a nation. 25 years of unrestricted abortion. I don't know if you know that, but in Canada, there is no province that has any regulation on abortion. It's unrestricted. So you could be seven, eight months pregnant. If you can find a doctor, it is not against the law to abort that baby. And it's a deep darkness in Canada. And I don't know about you, but uh, I was thinking about this because Sarah was telling me, you know, she was telling her school, she works, she's doing a placement as a student in a school. And she was telling the students a little bit about what she was going to do. And she got in trouble, you know. And she's telling some of the other teachers she got in trouble. And the, the person in charge just said to her, look, that's not allowed to be talked about here. You don't talk about that here, you know. And then she shared it with the church and some other people. They were all like, shh, <laughs> just shh. And I was just thinking, I have a microphone now, so I just thought I'd talk about it openly. <laughs> right? 
And so there's this, like, when Travis, uh, earlier on in the prayer meeting, we were talking about the stirring that the Lord's doing, right? I just feel so stirred. I feel stirred about, you know, these dark things coming to the light. And one of the great works that God's doing on the earth and what he does, actually, when he's going to set a people free is he exposes injustice, right? That's what he does. And that's actually one of the painful parts of the process is the exposure of injustice, but he's exposing it. But what the Lord wanted me to tell you is, is uh, really what he wanted me to speak about is revelation, He wanted me to talk to you about uh, the revelation of God on the earth. He wanted to talk uh, to you about the revelation, about how God wants you to see. He wants you to see differently. And actually, it's the revelation of God that's actually going to change the world. It's not just justice. Like, justice by itself is not enough. Justice is an outcome of who God is on the earth. It's what salvation looks like. Uh, Dr. Cornel West said this, justice is just love in public. That's what it is. But the revelation that we need to make justice come to the earth, it's not like I could just bang you on the head or I could give you stats and I could give you stories. I mean, there's enough people in this room to make you cry all night long when you think about the darkness and the evil that's been perpetrated against them, that has set them into oppression. If I could tell you the whole generation, half of a generation, when I was standing at uh, YC, we were speaking at YC last year, and I just thought about it for a second. You know, there's like 10,000 people there or something, and at least that many have also been aborted. In Canada, at least half that generation has been completely wiped out because they weren't even allowed to breathe, right? I mean, it's just this phenomenal demonic conspiracy, right? This phenomenal thing on the earth, this darkness that grows on the face of the earth. Now, we're polite in Canada, so what we like to do about darkness is just not talk about it. (laughs) Because maybe if we don't mention it, it isn't true. It's like the boogeyman that way, isn't it? If we don't mention the boogeyman, perhaps he's not there, right? That's the, let's just keep it quiet, But what the Lord has the opposite view of that. The Lord brings everything into the light, right? That's his view, is that everything needs to be brought into the light where darkness can't hide anymore. And then even the darkness becomes as light to him, right? As we reveal these things. And so I really felt like the Lord wanted to speak to us tonight about revelation, about his revelation to us and his revelation to the world. And uh, I wanted to to take a look quickly at Hebrews chapter 11, and I wanted to talk about the revelation that happens or the revolution that happens with this revelation, right? So when we see things differently, when God begins to give us a revelation, his revelation about his kingdom and his values and his purposes on the earth, everything else changes, right? Everything begins to change. Everything begins to change. How we saw things, how we see things, how we relate to people, what we do, how we invest our lives, how we don't invest our lives, who we hang out with, who we don't hang out. Everything begins to change if we get a revelation from God. And so I've been praying that God would give us a revelation tonight. And we've been praying all through worship. We've been talking about how we see, right? Revelation that God, I think God's trying to tell us something because when he starts to repeat himself, it usually means he's trying to, he's kind of like a wife that way right? He's a lot like a wife, right? Three times at least, right? Till my husband will do anything. Okay. Hebrews chapter 11. In Hebrews chapter 11, of course, is the hall of faith. These are all the great hearts of the faith. They're not all listed there, but a whole bunch of them are listed there. These fathers of the faith and people who've gone before who've demonstrated these remarkable lives, lives that actually we look at and we study and we go, whoa, how did they do that? And so there's a little bit of Uh, There's a little bit of a secret to how this kind of thing happened. I want to just look quickly at Moses. My son Moses turned one year old on Tuesday. So he's a year old. Moses was born again, praise the Lord. And uh, 
I actually named Moses Moses because I believe that God actually is going to do a remarkable deliverance of his people and of his children on the earth today. I believe that there is coming a day where God wants to set all of his children free. And there's this mighty anointing on a generation coming, you know, just a mighty anointing. And God's going to do some remarkable work. So that's uh, Moses. Uh, chapter 11, verse 23. So This is kind of pre-Moses in some ways. This is pre-Moses. It's really important. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith the people passed through the Red Sea. By faith the walls of... On and on it goes. This whole thing started, this whole deliverance of the people of God started with two people who saw a baby. Okay, and what's really important here is that uh, this value that God puts on his children is unprecedented in history. The value that God puts on you. Okay, I want you to turn to somebody beside you and say, you are no ordinary child. Okay, this goes all the way back, and this is really important. You may not know this, but, but Moses wrote the book of Genesis too, right? So he's, he wrote the book of Genesis to tell the people of God the story of God, right? So this is really important because he's talking to a people. When Moses grows up and becomes the deliverer of uh, the Israelites, the Israelites have become so assimilated to the dominant culture of Egypt. They become so much like the Egyptians that they don't really know who God is anymore. They don't even know what he's like. They don't know who he is. They don't know what he does. They don't know what he's like. And so all they know of power and all they know of glory and all they know is Pharaoh. That's all they know is Egypt. The whole generation was born in slavery. They were born in oppression. They were born in Egypt. And that's all they know. So Moses has to describe to them, this is what God's like. This is what he's like. And so he tells them the story, the very beginning of how this whole thing came to be. And if you don't know, in Genesis chapter one, the creation story is very similar. It's written as a poem. And it's very, very similar to a poem that was written in the Babylonian culture and in the Babylonian religion. Very similar. As a matter of fact, if you go to some, like, I don't know, training, religious training, I don't know, liberal school, they'll say, ah, Moses was just borrowing from the Babylonians. That was what was happening. But actually, if you read it, it's absolutely ingenious because every other culture on the planet, really, every ancient culture for sure, had these creation myths, had these creation, how the world came to be. And the way that they would describe everything is that the king, the leader, the, you know, the sovereign power of the land, they were made in God's image. So in Egypt, what you would know is that Pharaoh was the son of God. Pharaoh was made in the image of God. And everybody under Pharaoh, if they wanted to know God, if they wanted to know what God was like, they could look to Pharaoh because Pharaoh was the image of God. Pharaoh was made in the image of God. Everybody else wasn't. 
And in the Babylonian culture, of course, even the Babylonian creation story, I mean, there was no value to humanity whatsoever. I mean, humans were just commodities. When Pharaoh looked at the Israelites, he didn't see babies. He didn't see people with names. He didn't see any of those. What he saw was actually a workforce, right? What he saw was slaves. On a really good day when the Israelites were getting so powerful, what he saw was he saw, ah, opposition, right? But he never saw a person. He never saw a baby. He never saw Moses. He just saw potential soldiers, right? He just saw a potential threat. He just saw whole people groups. He never saw. And Moses understands that God, when he created the earth, what he did was one of the most revolutionary things. Actually, this principle of imagio deo, which means you were made in God's image. In Genesis chapter 1, when the Bible tells us that God said, the Trinity said, let's make humanity. Let's make women and men. Women, please listen to me. You were made in the image of God. You were made literally before you breathe. The scripture tells us that God's value, his image, who he is, his essence is stamped on your soul. It's literally woven into you. That's why you ever been there when a baby's been born? You ever been there in a baby's? It's just like, whoa. It's like, you know, it's like resurgence on steroids. (laughs) I mean, what worship leader in the world wouldn't want to just recapture that moment? I mean, who can do that? No one can do that. There was a miracle happening. And it's not just because there's this miracle of birth. You know, the same exact replica of birth doesn't happen when a cow's born. I mean, it's exciting and everything. But it's not quite the same. Right? But there is this revolutionary idea that God put on the planet, and it's this imagio deo. It's the image of God. God himself is implanted, is woven into, is made, is stamped on your soul before you're even born. And you are not Pharaoh, not some king, not some, you know, important person, not some, like, really ultra-rich person. You you, little insignificant you, you with all of your warts and all of your funny little things and all of your, what you think of yourself and what people told you your whole life, it doesn't matter. You were made in the image of God. You were made in God's image. And when you were made, God said in Genesis chapter one, wow, you're awesome. That's Hebrew. It is. It's Hebrew for very good. That's what the NIV guys call it, which is like so boring. They must have been old and male. (laughs) That's very good. That's not what he said. God said, Shazam, baby. Look at them. They're beautiful. They're beautiful. And when God looks at you, he thinks you're beautiful. He made you good. He wove you together. He dreamt before you were even born. He literally gives you value, not because of what you can do or what you can't do, not because of what people think of you or what they don't think of you. He gives you value because of who you are. And you were born to actually represent God on the earth. That's what that means too. It doesn't just mean that you were born with intrinsic value. In other words, your value comes from inside of you, not from outside of you. And that that revelation, if you could see that, if you could understand that God loves you for who you are because he made you and not for what you do or what you don't do or what people say about you or what you look like or how you dress or what's in your bank account or any of those kind of, if you could understand that it would revolutionize everything not just revolutionize everything about what you feel about yourself which is key but also revolutionize everything that you feel about the world it would revolutionize not only how you feel about yourself but how you feel about everybody else 
because everyone was made in the image of God. Every single person, every single slave, every single little girl, every single boy was made in the image of God to be God's representative on the earth. You were born to represent God to the world. How's that going? Yeah. I mean, that, what happened was the Israelites, they're born into this dominant culture that values people based as a commodity, right? This doesn't happen to us ever, does it? You're never valued in our society based on what you can contribute or what you can't contribute. You're not valued based on what you look like. That wouldn't be why cosmetic surgery is the fastest growing industry in the world right now. You don't get your own value from outside of you. Surely not, right? Surely you understand that your value comes from inside of you. Surely you've had a revelation from God that said you are very good. And that is a revelation that brings about a revolution, okay? Because what happens is all of these Israelites have been born into this idea that they were born to be slaves. And that's a demonic conspiracy. All of these Israelites have grown up in an environment that says this darkness and this slavery and this stuff that happens, we can't do anything about it. There's nothing that can be done. We're just going to have to make the best of what's been given to us, right? And that's, that's a demonic conspiracy. They don't understand, but somebody has to come along, a deliverer, someone who stirred up. When the Israelites were being oppressed by the Philistines, the same thing happened to Samson. The scripture says that the Lord began to stir in Samson. Literally, Samson was a disturber of the peace. He was a... I, 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 yeah, I don't want to embarrass anybody, you know, freak anybody out. But he was a holy shit disturber. <laughs> if, you read his, if you read the book, you will understand what I mean. He caused stuff to fly. I'm not kidding you. He made stuff up to do just to disturb the peace. Because what he wanted to do is he wanted to expose injustice. He wanted to bring it to the light. He wanted to say, this isn't okay. We got to actually talk about this in the open. God has this revelation. I think that he wants to open the eyes of our heart that we might understand that he values every single human being on the planet. And that actually his calling is not just for you to follow. His calling is for you to lead. His calling is for you to be a priest, literally, to be a representative of God. You know how many people, how many stories I've heard over the years, like tons of stories from First Nations people, from other people who have been oppressed so horribly, exploited and abused by people who represented God, right? I mean, priests in the residential school system. You guys all heard about it, right? You all know about it. How do you feel about them? Like, you know, when you, there are some occasions, actually, just the other day I was driving home after this film shoot and we were listening to some terrible stories about what had been done to people. And I was driving home and I was just like, this more than any other day in my life, I just resonate with the psalmist when he says, would you just take those wicked people and crush them to death? You would just read some of those psalms and you think, David, tone it down. Jeez. 
I mean, that's just not even polite, you know? It was just one of those days where I could just so resonate, just like, would you wipe them out? Like, could you just get rid of them, please? Because they're terrible representatives of you. And there are so many occasions. I remember in the downtown east side of Vancouver, I lived and worked there for years, and, and uh, I just, every single person, every single drunk native I met told me over and over and over again. I mean, just even I just started apologizing before the conversation began. You know, as soon as they found out I was a Christian, I just started, it was just easier to just go, I'm so sorry about what's been done to you. I'm so sorry about how the church has treated you. I'm so sorry that the people who were made to represent God represented him so horribly. And then the Lord started just to speak to me over and over again. How are you representing God? How are you doing on that front? How are you treating your neighbor? How do you deal with the person who everybody else sees as unwanted and ugly and not welcome? How are you doing on that front? How are you representing God? And I started to realize that God had actually put this beautiful value inside of us for something. Right? He gave you this. If he can give you this revelation, if you can get it, some of you need it tonight because you're still believing lies that have been spoken over you by the enemy for years. You're still believing that you're insignificant and that you're weak and that you've got nothing else to offer and that you're like pathetic and that no one likes you and that you're ugly and like blah, 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 blah. Just lies, lies, lies. You've been leaving it for your whole life. And God wants to give you a revelation tonight that's going to break that off, literally expose the liar for who he is and bring light. You know, the vision I had, we were praying before the meeting is that that there was a flaming sword, which is a representative of truth of God. And it was like going to slice all this darkness and light was going to pour in. And I believe that tonight revelation is going to hit, you know, literally just like boom, boom, boom. And the lightness is going to break the darkness off of you. And you're going to come into this like, whoa, I'm good. Like, God loves me. Like, God likes me. He thinks I'm cool. Like, I'm, and this revelation is going to be incredible. And it's going to be good. And you're going to need to just suck all that in and just be like, yes, I'm his. I'm made for him. You know, I love him. His presence is all I need. All those sort of songs that we're singing. But then this revelation is going to hit you too. I'm good. And I'm made in the image of God. And so now, <laughs> how am I representing him on the earth? How am I doing? You know, my friend was telling me that she read that verse in First Peter, you know, it says, without holiness, no one can see the Lord. And, you know, for my whole entire life, I come from a holiness movement. So or my whole entire life, I just thought, oh, man, that means if you're not holy, you can't go to heaven. That's totally what I thought that meant. I just was like, crap, I'm in trouble. I mean, I swear when I preach, <laughs> I'm toast. Without holiness, no one can see the Lord. And my friend was like, well, duh. And I was like, what? She's an 18-year-old girl. Duh. Isn't it obvious? Like, it's so simple. And I was like, what's so simple? I've been struggling with this my whole entire life. Don't treat me unkindly, you know. And she said, well, if we don't represent God, how will anybody know him? Be holy because God's holy. Why? So people will see a holy God. Be kind because God's kind. Why? So people will know God's kind. Silly. Right? Be gracious. Be generous. Why? So people know God's generous and gracious. Be forgiving. Why? Jesus speaks to us. Because I forgave you. That's why. We forgive others because God's a forgiving God. We extend what we've received. As we know him, we represent him to the world. And as we represent him to the world, this thing happens. Things begin to shift. 
right? Things begin to shift. And literally, you can see this happening. Moses' parents had a revelation of the value Moses had before God. He was no ordinary child. Like every child born. <laughs> like every single child born. With a purpose and a plan God has for their life. When you were born, God saw, like Moses' parents, that you were no ordinary child. And if we could see people like that, it shifts everything. It exposes the lie of the enemy. It begins to bring value to Moses, but not a value where Moses is puffed up and like, look at me, I'm a prince of Egypt. The scripture says because of that revelation, because he understood that not only was he no ordinary child, but that actually God in heaven had given him this value. He understood that instead of being aligned with Egypt, instead of going for power and glory and treasures of Egypt, he actually realigned his life to be with God. He realigned everything. He gave up the treasures of Egypt. He gave up those things that could have been his in the world. And he actually reassigned his life to be despised and forsaken and weak and poor in the eyes of the world because he understood his value didn't come from what the world thought about him. His value came from what God thought about him. And you see, if you can get this revelation, it can change everything because then instead of needing validation from people, instead of needing validation from things, and instead of the world saying who you are and dictating who you are, you know how many people I talk to who take total university degrees based on how much money they can make after? What is that? Really? Really? You're going to base your whole life's work on how much cash you can have in your pocket? Have you not even read the scriptures? Do you not know that you're not a slave? Do you not, can you not hear that you are no ordinary child? You were born to change the world. You were born to represent God to the earth. You were born to set people free. You were born with this destiny, you know? When I, my husband and I first were called to the downtown east side of Vancouver, we had just given birth to our first son, Zion. And he's only a couple months old. And when we were dedicated, my, my dad dedicated him to the Lord. And, um, and you know, the, the downtown east side is like a containment area of infectious diseases. There's like 8,000 drug addicts that live in eight blocks. It's a, literally like a, a living ghetto. And uh, they put them all there because of the HIV and the hepatitis C outbreak. So 92% of them have hep C. And 67% of them have HIV. So it's just an infectious disease zone. And uh, so God's like, I want you to live there, you know, and I want you to represent me to your neighbors, to your people that, that live there. And my mom was like, are you sure he said that? Because <laughs> we just had this like two-month-old baby, right? Zion, this beautiful baby made in the image of God. And we could totally tell even then that he was no ordinary child. And uh, so I was dedicating Zion to the Lord in Toronto, and my, my dad was praying over him, and my dad said, you know, God, whenever you did something great on the earth, you did it through the announcement of a child. You know, that's a cool idea, too, because I never thought about that before, and I was like, oh, yeah. And then my dad said, okay, look, God, like, you know, make this baby who will change the world, you know, a baby who will change the world. And I thought, yeah, make my baby the baby who will change the world, because, like, that's cool. And also, like, who doesn't need a messianic complex, right? So... 
I started praying, you know, like, God, make my son Zion, make him a baby who will change the world, you know, make him a baby. And so then a couple weeks later, I got them in this like little baby carrier thing because I got, like, got them close to me and I'm walking down Hastings Street, which they call Wasting Street because people are wasting away there. It's unbelievable. And people are exchanging needles and crack and shooting up on the sidewalk. And I got this little baby and I'm walking across the street and my mom's voice just comes into my head going, are you sure that was God? What are you thinking? You know, he's to the police pull over. Are you lost? <laughs> I'm like, um, no, he's no ordinary child. I'm representing God and everything, every, you know, motherly hormonal, natural response to having given birth to a child is like, what am I doing? Have I lost my mind? walking across a uh, uh, main street and I'm and this guy drunk native guy bumps into me so I do my best mother Teresa imitation and I say watch it buddy <laughs> and I'm all protective and I'm still I'm like being assaulted by these doubts and fears and just like what am I doing I've lost my mind you know my mother's voice and and this guy's like whoa you got a baby I didn't see that I said well you should look where you're going <laughs> That's good ministry skill right there. <laughs> and he said, uh, oh, what's your baby's name? And I said, my baby's name's Zion. And this guy looks at me and he goes, stone cold sober, just the slur stopped. And he looks me in the eye and he goes, that baby's going to change the world. <laughs> right. It was like God saying, remember? Right? It's just God saying, Remember? You remember me? Remember me? Remember how I work? Remember how what I do is not like what other people do? Remember how my value system is different than the world's value system? Remember how what I anoint and what's powerful to me looks like weakness and nonsense to the world? Remember how actually the way that I work, the design that I have is so different from the design that the world has? Remember how I work? Do you remember me, Danielle? It's God. Remember? We're not doing ordinary stuff here. We're doing extraordinary stuff here. We're not aligning ourselves with Egypt here. We're not despairing and agreeing with the darkness. Oh, isn't it terrible what's happening? We're entering in, right? We're stepping in. Why? Because the light of God, because the revelation of who I am, because I'm an image bearer of Christ himself, because Jesus lives in me and he's the light of the whole world. And just by me standing near the darkness, you know what happens? The darkness starts to shake. Do you believe that? You know how many Christians I know who just run and hide? Close all the blinds, pray really loud. The darkness is coming, the darkness is coming. <laughs> Don't let it get you. Quick, shh, come here. Darkness, it's dark out there. Don't go there. <laughs> I'm like, dude, we should open up. Do you know anybody on earth who puts blinds down to keep the darkness out? It doesn't even make any natural sense. <laughs> we don't keep darkness out. We keep light out. Because light's powerful, because it's made to penetrate, because it's made to go into the dark places, because that's what it's made for. Right? The gates of hell aren't advancing. They're gates. They're stationary. We take the gates of hell because we're advancing, because we represent God on the earth. Do you understand? And
And we have this different value system, and when we have this different value system, everything begins to shift. Everything begins to shift from the inside out, which is how revolution happens. If it happens from the outside in, it's not godly. It always happens from the inside out. That's why Jesus came in to our world, <laughs> to bust us out of our world. It's always an inside-out revolution. It's always that way, and it happens first with revelation. Have you had that revelation, who are you? Do you know who you are? Have you experienced the living God, the one who made you and designed you and wept for you and dances over you and sings for you and is a fool for you all the time, never, ever, ever giving up on you? Have you had a revelation of his love for you? Because you can have that tonight and you need it. Because without that revelation, nothing else. You know what happens? Moses grows up. You might know the story. And he, he sees the injustice against his people. And he's just like, Rawr! and he goes and he just hammers this Egyptian. Which I cannot tell you how many times a week I want to do that. I just want to go hammer Egyptians. <laughs> not like real Egyptians, but you know what I mean, right? I've got nothing against real Egyptians, but you know what I mean. Like oppressors, right? Like guys in minivans with baby seats in the back, picking up 15-year-old girls on the street on the 118th app. Do you know what I want to do with their minivan? Do you know what I'm saying? Do you know what I want to I just want to... Ah! At least kick the side of it. <laughs> Just stop it, right? Just stop it. What are you doing? And you know what they're doing? You know what perpetuates the sex industry? Is what they're doing is they're not picking up a 15-year-old girl. They're just picking up some object. They do not have a revelation of the image of God in every single person. If they had that revelation, they could never stop on the side of the road and pick up an oppressed 15-year-old girl. Do you understand? This revelation has the power to change not only the oppressed, but the oppressor. Do you understand? That revelation, I pray it all the time. If I can't kick in their cars and then kick in their heads, God, give them a revelation. Give them a revelation that that 15-year-old girl is your representative on the earth with your stamp and seal upon her heart, with your design for her life, a plan to prosper her and not to harm her. You know what I'm saying? If we understood this revelation, it would change what we buy. Because if we knew that what we bought was actually made by little kids who have no names and who are seen as a workforce for a commercial industry where we can just cannot buy enough, can we? How many more things do I need to buy? And at what cost? And if we really, really wanted to understand this image of God in every people on the planet, it would matter to us who made our clothes. It would matter to us who made our chocolate. It would matter to us how these things are done. It would matter to us how business is done. Because we would see those slaves with names, right? We would see those children, little children in debt bondage in India, clothing our, making our cotton to make our cheap shirts. And we would say, wait a minute. That little guy has a name. I'm pretty sure God dreamed him up. And God knit him together in his mother's womb all the way over there in India. And God actually purposed for his life something incredible, something good. Actually, God made him as a representative of himself on the earth. And it matters to me how he's treated. It would matter. Do you see what I mean? It would be a revolution. It would change everything. It would change not only what we pick in our school major and what we do with our lives, but it would also pick how we live our lives. It would change absolutely everything about our life. If we saw people, it would change. Downtown Eastside, one of my, my best friend's name was Annie. She was a crazy lady, certified crazy. She's what they call dual diagnosis, which is crazy, insane, and drug addicted. 
And so she was double the trouble, you know. She was, if you saw her, she was Rastafarian. She had long fingernails. She was unkept. She had this wild look to her, you know. <laughs> she was very exciting to be with. Never a dull moment with Annie. And, uh, and in, in the downtown east side, what happens is, as in every containment area, because there are always areas we don't want to know about, especially Canadians. We don't want to know. Thanks anyway. Let's not talk about it, right? So the downtown east side, if you get a walking map from the city of Vancouver, if you're a tourist and you go to Vancouver and you ask for a walking map, the legend of the map will cover the downtown east side. It's not on the map because they don't want you to see it. That's why, right? Because we don't want to look at this. We don't want to know about this. This is how we participate in injustice on the earth is we choose not to see. That's why revelation is the key, right? Because God shows us what we don't even want to look at. And when God shows us what we don't even want to look at, light comes. And when light comes, strategies come. And when light comes, freedom comes. And when light comes, everything changes. Do you understand? Revelation is the key. So they cover up this area of the city. So what happens is I lived in a building that was on the downtown east side south corner. So if I went out my front door, I was Mother Teresa, Ta-da, the poor. If I went out my back door, I was just at the edge of Gastown. So I could skirt out the back door and head up to Starbucks if I didn't feel like Mother Teresa. So it depended on the day. If I wanted to engage fully, I'd go out my front door. If I just wasn't quite ready yet, I'd go out my back door. You know what I'm saying? Just get over it. I'm not Mother Teresa. Everyone's always like, what? There's a back door? There's always a back door. So this one particular day, now what happens is in, in, in Gastown, if you've ever been there, it's beautiful, it's touristy, there's a funky little Starbucks there and some very overpriced shops. And what happens is the, tur- the boats, the cruise boats dock at the top of Gastown and then they just walk down Gastown for this beautiful little trip to Vancouver. And then they don't go past the end of Gastown and they go back up again. But all, what happens is the downtown east side residents tend to drift towards the Gastown area because they're looking for money, right? So they're always busking or everybody wants to be the next uh, Tracy Chapman in Vancouver. They're whatever. So um, what they did, the Gastown Business Association hired a security force. So they hired their own security force to keep the downtown residents out of Gastown because they're not supposed to go there. So you can imagine why. If you're a tourist wanting to spend good money in a comfortable place, you don't want to see, you know, poverty. It's not what you came to Canada for. So I went out the back door this one day. I was having a rough day, and I thought, I know, I need a latte before I enter the, the, the fray. So I, I walked out my back door. And right when I hit Gastown, right the area she's not supposed to be, I found Annie. And Annie was sitting uh, in this area with her guitar, and she's playing a song. Now, Annie's a rock star in her own mind but not so much in real life, okay? So she can't really sing very well, but, or even play the guitar very well, but that does not stop her. So she's sitting in Gaston, she's playing poorly, singing poorly, and she's not supposed to be there. She's got her case open. She's trying to busk some money. And I say, Annie, she says, Danielle, what are you doing here? I'm like, I'm on my way to get a coffee. What are you doing here? She's like, I'm trying to get money to go get a coffee. I said, excellent. She said, why don't you sit down for a bit? So I said, okay. So now I'm sitting down next to Annie. And Annie goes, you know what? I'm not making very much money. You give it a try. So she gives me her guitar. So now I'm busking in Gastown for Annie, right? I'm sitting there, try to sing a worship song. At least we'll call this an open air. But I'm not even making any money because I'm a rock star in my own mind too. So then we're just like sitting there. And finally, I'm just like, you know what, Annie, this isn't getting us very far. Why don't I just take you to Starbucks and I'll buy you a coffee? To which Annie replies, I thought you'd never ask. (laughs) 
So I'm packing up Annie's guitar, you know, as happens with Annie, I'm doing her work. So I put her guitar, I'm putting her case away and I'm getting ready for us to go to Starbucks when we see this commotion coming down the street. And there's this guy, he's just like drunk and he's really, really like just swearing and spitting and he's all really upset because he's flanked on either side by the security guards from Gastown. And they are escorting him out of Gastown back to the downtown east side where he belongs. So they're just like either side, they've got him and they're just like marching him down Gastown. And Annie, I see her, you know, I see her, look at this guy. And I see her, look at me. She looks back. She's like, okay, you got the guitar. She looks at the guy and I'm just like, and I can just see troubles brewing. I'm like, we're in trouble here. What's going to happen? Cause Annie is a crazy lady. So I'm like, Annie, just Annie. And just as I'm reaching out to go, Annie in slow motion, Annie darts towards this guy as fast as she can. Just like, vroom, and she gets to the guy and she grabs him by the scruff of the neck. And she goes, I really love you. And then she just like kisses the guy like full on, like PG 13 rated, like nasty open mouth tongue and everything. It was just so both the security guys immediately take a step back. They're just like, Whoa. I mean, it was just like, what are you going to do? Arrest her for love? Just <laughs> cuff her and take her in for extravagant beauty. I don't know what to do. So they're looking at me and I'm looking at them. You know, I probably have a Salvation Army sign somewhere on me and they're just like, what to do? And I'm like, I don't know what to do. Like, I'm like, ah, we're both just kind of, we're all just kind of suspended there for like an unseemly amount of time. It was like, tick tock, tick tock, tick tock, tick. How long are you going to kiss this guy? Like, this is insane. You know, just like, and we're just, mm, cue the elevator music, crickets, all kinds of things. And then finally it stops, you know, okay, we're like, they're done. This guy's like sober. <laughs> I mean, Annie kissed him into sobriety. It's the first time I've ever seen that. First time I've ever seen that. It's phenomenal. <laughs> so Annie's looking at everybody waiting for a reaction. You know, she always gets a reaction, but we're all just stunned into paralysis. We're just like paralyzed. All of us, we're just like stuck. And then Annie looks at us. She's like, oh, nothing's coming. Nothing's coming. She goes, Dave, I got some good news. Dave says, what? She goes, Danielle's taking us to Starbucks. <laughs> so then Dave and Annie and I, you know, we both walk in the opposite direction and go to Starbucks and have a coffee. It's a good day to begin. It's a good way to begin your day. <laughs> but Annie, see, Annie's got something revolutionary. She had a revelation of who Dave was. Do you understand? And it changed everything about that situation. Not only did it change Annie in that situation, because she just made a beeline. So instead of being repulsed, instead of joining with society and saying, ah, that's ugly, that's yucky, that's, ugh, we don't want to touch that. And sort of just like maybe looking the other way, crossing the street, do what you do. Annie's just like full on right towards him because that's Dave. He's got a name. He's a real guy. And Annie loves him. <laughs> she loves him deeply. I witnessed it. She loves him. <laughs> and that love, that revelation for Dave, right? That love, that unadulterated, just kind of like, ah, I'm, I'm pressing through here. I'm coming through here. It's not supposed to happen this way, but it's happening this way on my watch. This unadulterated revelation of love. Dave's loved. Do you know how that changed everything for Dave? I changed the direction he was walking in. 
It changed, literally stopped him in his tracks. It totally gave him freedom from some security guards. I mean, it began to revolution. It sobered him up. And he was really drunk. It sobered him up. That kind of love sobered him up. And then it changed their direction forever, right? We began to change the way we were walking. And instead of going with the world, we walked against the world. Instead of going with the conformity of society, we said, no, no, we're going a different direction, right? We began to change. It changed everything. And it wasn't me that changed anything. I was just going for a Starbucks. It's Annie. It's the revelation that Annie had about who that Dave was. Do you understand? If we could get revelation... If we could get revelation from God, if we could hear God's voice speak value and love and insight into who we are, who we really are, not who security guards think we are, not who society thinks we are, not who our parents think we are, not who the church thinks we are. I don't care about any of that stuff. Who does God think you are? Because if you could get that revelation that he loves you for who you are, it would revolutionize everything else you do. It would revolutionize your choices. It would revolutionize your relationships. It would revolutionize what you do with your life. It would revolutionize your neighborhoods. Do you understand? If you could get that revelation. And so I've been praying that God would give us a revelation tonight. A revelation tonight of his love. Of his extravagant, wonderful, beautiful love. A revelation of his truth that he would show us the things that we need to know, that we would embrace him knowing that he's good, knowing that he's got this plan that involves us, knowing that he's got this idea that's going to revolutionize the whole world and we're invited in to be part of that, knowing all those things about him, his goodness, his acceptance, his love, a revelation of all those things that will set us free than to love other people. Do you understand? It's going to change the world. It's going to change how you live. It's going to change how you feel about yourself. It's going to change how you feel about someone else. It's going to change where you go to school. It's going to change what you study or if you study. It's going to change what you invest in. It's going to change how you give. It's going to change how you live, right? It's going to be awesome. And what happens is this revelation, it, then, it sets you free. It sets you free to live for God and only God. That's what Jesus had that made him so dangerous. He didn't care. He had a revelation of what God thought about him. He said, I don't do anything I don't see the Father telling me to do. And when Pilate said, you should be afraid of me, man, because I have the power to take your life, and Jesus kind of suppresses a laugh. <laughs> Pilate thinks he's in charge. Because <laughs> Jesus walks in revelation. And Jesus understands that Pilate's not in charge. Jesus says, oh, the only authority you have is authority that's been given to you by my Father. Actually, who holds my life? Who holds my future? Who holds my value? Who holds my attention? <laughs> He's way bigger than Pilate. He's way bigger than Pharaoh. He's way bigger than any force. He's way bigger than your boyfriend, I can tell you that. It's God. It's God. It's Christ. It's Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, I just want to thank you in this place that you're not hiding. <laughs> I just want to thank you that you're not hard to find. I mean, you're just like, can't wait to give revelation to your children. You delight 
the scripture tells us to give us the kingdom. You delight to give us the kingdom. You lavish us with love and affection. You love us so dearly. You made us. You dreamed for us. Even before we could breathe, you loved us. You dreamt for us. You valued us. You had a plan for us. And so I'm just praying right now, Holy Spirit, just the great revealer of all things, that you would give us a revelation tonight. Would you please give us a revelation tonight of our value, of what you see about us? We just want to combat the lies of the enemy right now that would push us down, that would say that we're not valuable, that would say that it doesn't, you know, we have to measure up somehow. We want to push down religious lies right now in Jesus' name and say our performance is somehow our success. And we just break it off in Jesus' name right now. This idea that the outside of us matters more than the inside of us. Even in our churches, we just break it off in Jesus' name. And we just speak a deep revelation of God's love into our hearts. A deep revelation. I just want you to wait a couple minutes. Just wait right now. I just want you to, if that's the desire of your heart for this revelation, I just want you to wait. Right now, just wait. I just feel like the Lord delights to answer this one. He just wants to show you his love. And I just feel like there's people here, even as I'm saying that, that you just keep repeating these. I don't know if it's a curse or it's something you've thought about yourself or something somebody told you for a long time. And that's what keeps coming to you. I just want to break that off, right? So I'm just going to invite everyone just to close your eyes. And if you keep hearing something else coming to you, you know, just like a lie from the enemy that you know, you know, that's off. That's not right. Just put your hand up. I just want to break that off of you. In Jesus' name, we just want to come against the lies of the enemy that have been spoken over your life. You know, just unwanted. We break that off in Jesus' name. You know, just unworthy. We break that off in Jesus' name. You know, not good enough. We break it off in the name of Jesus. Just lies, lies, lies. We break them off. We bring them into the light. And we expose them to the light of God, breaking their power by the blood of Jesus. This this image, 250 young girls in India, they were all named unwanted. (laughs) And they had this Christian organization organize this name-changing ceremony, you know, this massive name where they all changed their name. And I just felt like whatever it is that that lie is that's been spoken over your life, it's like the Lord wants to give you a revelation where you change your name. You know, you literally are like, I'm no longer that. That's not true. I change the reality of that in my mind and in my life. And so, God, we ask for this revelation. Inside out. 
first to us. And then I just, I feel like tonight God wants to give revelation to people here about other things, about their neighborhood, about people that they've just sort of painted with a brush, you know, this socioeconomic group, young people, you know, whatever it is, just poor people, prostituted people, whatever it is that we've done, you know, just, we just kind of keep them over there as them. And God wants to give us eyes like Moses' parents had where we see that these are not ordinary children. And I just, I feel like God's going to give people real specific revelation about people that God's put on their heart to free, you know. He's going to give you real insight tonight about things that you're supposed to do with your life, people you're supposed to invest in. So God, we just ask right now that you would open heaven and you'd show us your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, right here. Right now. We're just going to minister a bit in worship just to give us a bit of covering. But I, I feel like, you know, we want to press into this a little bit. And there are those of you that probably want to go, but there are may, maybe others that want to stay. And uh, some of my best revelations of my value with God have come just as I laid down <laughs> on a sanctuary floor and just like let God speak to me. You know, just let the word speak inside my spirit. And speak to me about what he thinks about me. So if you're one of those people that just struggle or you're struggling with your identity or you just want to run in and say, I want a revelation. You know, I want a revelation. I want to be one who hears. You know, you can posture yourself tonight to say, speak, Lord, your servant's listening, right? Speak to me. Speak deep within me. Do you know that this is something the Lord can just do? It's not too hard for him. Right? He's not scared. He's not like, I don't know, you've been believing that lie for a long time. I don't know if I can shake it. No, no, he made you. He designed you, right? His arm is not too short. And he can actually change, take out what needs to be taken out and put in what needs to be put in. He can do surgery in a moment, right? His word, the scripture tells us, is like a two-edged sword. That's how fast, right? It's faster than that. It's like fast, he can do what can't be done any other way. His truth bringing revelation to your inner being so that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened to know <laughs> the love of God together with all the saints, the all-surpassing glory of the love of God. And to know that <laughs> is to live. So God, we open ourselves up to you, all of us. We're your people we're yours. We belong to you. We love you. Please help us. Know your voice. And let your voice set us free. It also occurs to me that there might be some of you here tonight who don't know Jesus. 
that maybe you know a bit about him. And uh, you've been wondering who this, this Jesus guy is. I just feel like we'd love for you to meet him. <laughs> He's amazing. And he would love to meet you. And so if that's you, please come speak to me or speak to Travis or speak to the team, you know, and just say, I'd like to meet Jesus. You know, we'd love for you to live again, truly, from the inside out and let Jesus speak life to you today. He'd love to bring you to life. So respond as you feel led.